want you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number two. I feel as if I should change my sermon based upon that last song, um, The Ancient of Days. It takes me to uh, the book of Daniel, which I'm very fond of. And so I feel like I need to preach a sermon on that. Anyway, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 2 this morning. And you saw the slide. Uh, <clears throat> this morning's message is, as Solomon would say, it's nothing new under the sun. It's just about the simple idea of drifting. And I feel like in our culture today that this is so, so commonplace. Um, even as part of the last song we sung, Come Thou Fount, um, it's the idea of just drifting. Um, and I want us to understand more than anything else in, in the message today that, that drifting is such a dangerous thing. I, I can't impress upon you how dangerous it is. Now, we're in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2 is where we're going to be. But if I could, what I need to do this morning is I need to put Hebrews into your mind so you understand the book. I need to put it into contemporary terms. And in fact, I would probably compare the book of Hebrews, as crazy as it sounds, I would probably compare the book of Hebrews to the idea of an infomercial. You remember the infomercials? Many of us today probably have some recollection of an infomercial that we've seen in the past, or maybe we watched one late last night because we couldn't fall asleep. Um, see if you remember any of these classics. I wrote down a bunch. Um, classics for the kitchen. Uh, you've got things like the power juicer, the Jinsu steak knives, the George Foreman grill, the magic bullet. Remember these things? What about workout? Because we all need to work on our bodies, right? So the workout items, you've got the Bowflex, the Gazelle, the famous Thighmaster, um, the sauna suit. I always found that kind of interesting. Why would you want to wear a suit that makes you sweat all day long? I sweat enough as is. Or sweating to the oldies, speaking of sweat. Remember that. What about the cleaning items? You know, the OxyClean or the ShamWow. Um, but we can't forget things like the Snuggie or the Clapper. Some of you probably still use the Clapper. Uh, you know, the most popular products I looked up for uh, West Virginia sales in the last couple of decades, okay? So this is not current, but this last couple of decades. The most popular ones, there were two. There were the P90X workout system, and there was the shake weight. Now, I'm not going to embarrass you um, with the shake weight, but if you want to go look that up on your own time and have a really good laugh, you can do that. Now, I know there are many more to add to the list, but the point is that infomercials tried their best, and they succeeded, because you bought them, in getting its audience to buy something they wouldn't have otherwise even dreamed about buying. They start with an audience. They know their audience, don't they? Then they have a strategy, a persuasion, kind of intrigue, kind of, oh, that's an interesting product. Then there are backstories and endorsements by professionals. You know, they got to have all those. And then, of course, you have to have the testimonials of the people who say, oh, it worked. It worked great. You know, with a line that says, this, this person is paid by the advertising company. And as odd as this sounds, understanding the book of Hebrews flows in a very similar manner in which an infomercial would be. There's an audience. You see, in the book of Hebrews, it was written to Jewish believers who had accepted Jesus as their Messiah, but they were being tempted and pressured to revert back to trusting 
in the law to save them. There's a strategy of persuasion. The strategy is simple, that Jesus is so much better. And the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the exact representation of God. He is better than the angels, better than Moses, better than the entirety of the Old Testament sacrificial system. He has a better sanctuary. He has a better sacrifice. Then there are backstories and endorsements by professionals. This is the list of Old Testament writers and prophets that the author of Hebrews talks about. See in the Old Testament how this proves the point, he would say. Then there are testimonials of people who actually believe that Jesus is so much better. And that's a famous chapter in Hebrews, and you know it well. It's called the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. It provides countless examples of individuals who believe that Jesus was so much better to even the extent that they died for that belief. You know, as Matt offered a prayer this morning about our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, some of them believe that Jesus is so much better to the extent that they're willing to die for that belief, just like all these in the Hall of Faith. You see, the point is rather simple. Many of us, or most of us, know that Jesus is so much better than anything that this world has to offer but our problem is we don't do anything about it. We do nothing. Why does the author of Hebrews spend a full 10 chapters proving and demonstrating and presenting evidence that Jesus is so much better? He's not beating a dead horse. He knows his audience. He knows that for them to take a hold of this truth, they need evidence beyond a shadow of a doubt. Now, if you're like me, you're probably highly skeptical of an infomercial. I know I am. When you see one that comes on, you're like, yeah, sure. You live with a slogan, well, that's too good to be true. And most of the time it probably is, but you live with that slogan. And even so find some infomercials ridiculous, even comical at times. You might send a message to your friend, say, hey, check out this infomercial. It is hilarious, the product that they're trying to sell. But then it happens. You hear that a family member has bought the product. And you think to yourself, man, I thought we were a better family than that. You know? Or you might say, yeah, that's the kind of person that buys that product. I can see that person buying that product, right? But then you know, notice that a coworker has bought it. And this shocks you because, hey, they work with you, so they're pretty smart, right? This is outside of their behavior. I mean, completely outside. And you begin to think about it even more. And then it happens. Then you go into Walmart or Kroger or Food Fair or wherever you might be. And you see the product on the shelves in the store. And you think, well, the product must have done well. I mean, it's in the store here. They're selling it. They're obviously making money. And before long, it's on its way to your house being shipped to you through Amazon, isn't it? You know, in the course of time, and we all ship it through Amazon because we don't want anybody else to know that we bought it, right? Yeah. Over the course of time, what has happened is that you bought into that product. And see, these Jewish believers in the book of Hebrews, that was the book of Hebrews was written to, had put their faith in Jesus as their Messiah, but their active living for Jesus was a struggle, just like our active living for Christ is a struggle. And since the days of Moses until the coming of Jesus on earth, some 1,500 years, all the Jewish people knew was the law. The law was wrapped up into every part of their life, even today for Jews that have not accepted Jesus as the Messiah, as their Messiah, excuse me. The law is part of everything. It's so wrapped up into their existence. 1,500 years of tradition cannot be dropped overnight. 
It just doesn't happen that way. This is why the author of Hebrews spends so much time demonstrating why Jesus is so, so much better. He needs time to prove that Jesus is not just better than the law, but he was the central part to the law in the first place. The law was always meant to point the Jewish person to the coming Messiah. It was always designed that way. So the principle for us is, again, quite simple. We know that Jesus is better than anything this world has to offer, but our active living for him is a struggle. And we all have that tendency to what? To drift away from God. And that's the point. And that's what our text says today. So look with me in Hebrews chapter 2 and in verse 1 and look at what it says. It says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through the angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, a salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, we call those apostles, God also bearing witness with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. We all have a tendency to drift. Now think of the word drifting for a moment. It, it, it's, it's, it's a very rich word. We use the word drifting in many different contexts, don't we? We use drifting out to sea or um, a boat on a lake or drifting in your mind while driving. You ever do that where you've driven the same path so many times that you pull into your uh, destination and you're thinking, wait a minute, how did I get here? Because I remember beginning, but I don't remember ending. And you're like, I hope I didn't really do anything bad the time between, right? You drift in your mind because you're so used to it. Or you drift apart in relationships because of time. Or you might drift out into space or drift out into your thinking. The word means to wash away or to flow by or to slip away. And the metaphor here seems to be of a current allowing to carry someone away from a fixed point through carelessness or concern. That's what we're talking about. You know, maybe dur during beach vacations, if you're like me, I like to go out into the ocean when I'm at the beach. Uh, I, of course, I like to sit and read a book and rest and go to sleep and all those kinds of things too. But I also like to go into the water because it's fun. As a kid, that's what I did. And so early on as a kid, my dad taught me as he was out there with me, he says, you have to always think about correcting yourself because you'll get taken down by the current. And if you've been out in the ocean, you know this. You enter into the ocean at, at, at a certain you know, horizontal direction, and then as you ride the waves, enjoy it, be on a raft, whatever, you slowly get carried down. You slowly get carried down. You slowly, and you've got to constantly correct yourself so you're in line with where, you know, your whole party of people that are on the beach with you, you know, you've got to, some of you might want to be carried away from that party of people and just keep <laughs> going, okay? But that's the idea, is you keep drifting away. And when you're in the ocean, you don't have to say, hey, I'm going to drift this way. Let's swim this way. It just, or whatever direction. I guess it's always this way because the way the currents are in this part of the world. Anyway, you're always going in one direction, and it's not something you have to do. It just naturally happens. You don't have to say, hey, I want to go this direction. Let's swim this way. Um, it just naturally happens. You have to constantly correct yourself. 
And that's the point. To stay on track with Jesus, to stay on track with our active living for Christ, we have to constantly correct ourselves because we naturally drift. So we have to constantly correct ourselves. And sometimes when you get out into the ocean and it is rough, it's exhausting trying to correct yourself back, trying to correct yourself back. There have been a few times when I've been in the ocean. I remember um, as a kid... um, my dad had taken me out, and <clears throat> he'll probably hear this message, so he'll probably correct me if I'm wrong with the story. But I remember him taking me out, and it was just constantly so hard to correct. It was so rough because there was a storm getting ready to come, um, you know, a, a day later. And, of course, that's when you go out because that's when the waves are really big, right? And so that's when you have the most fun. And I remember, you know, turning around, leaving, trying to get out of the ocean. It was getting rough, and I just remember turning around seeing, like, this huge wave just encompass him as he was trying to get back in. But I remember that day because it was so, so rough, and you spent all your energy just trying to correct yourself constantly because you're just being tossed to and fro, just completely. You know, and that's the way life feels sometimes. You know, we're all currently, continuously, should I say, exposed to the currents of opinions of politics, of social media, all of which tend to carry us away unknowingly from that position we're supposed to maintain. You know how it is. I've got a few minutes here, so let me check my social media accounts. So you go and you check your social media accounts, and like three hours later, you're like, oh, it's, it's three hours later. What have I been doing? You've gotten lost. You've drifted three hours into that. Or maybe you might uh, decide to binge watch uh, season of your favorite TV show. You know how it goes. One more episode. One more episode. Just one more. I got time. It's not too late. One more. One more. And before you know it, you hear a sound of an alarm. And what is that? Well, that's your alarm for the morning time. It's time to wake up. And you spend all night just drifting, just drifting. It's so easy. It's so easy because we get so engrossed with things into the culture of our world without even making an effort. You know, when's the last time you opened up your Bible? and started reading, and got so engrossed in it, you lost all sense of time. You know, when is the last time you read a good Christian book and got so engrossed in it that you just lost all track of time? We can get so engrossed into the culture without even making an effort. And friends, the world is not interested in drawing us closer to God. It's bent on separating us from God's truth. It is bent on that. It is bent on that. But the good news, and that's why we're in Hebrews, the good news is that the author of Hebrews provides us some ways in which we can combat a tendency to drift away. We have got to spend our energy stopping drifting and staying aligned with what God wants for us. So look at what he says in chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. Look at that phrase, the more earnest heed. Heed. So first we're told that we need to simply pay attention. You ever been told that before? Pay attention. Pay attention. I'm telling you right, that right now. Pay attention, okay? The phrase means earnest heed. It just has the idea to listen up, to pay attention. It occurs numerous times in the New Testament. It's commonly used elsewhere of bringing a ship into land. So if you ever watch those shows like I do when they're trying to dock this humongous cruise ship or this battleship, and they're bringing it in real, real slow, and you're like, man, that's real, real slow. And then you realize one little, you know, current or slip or something, it's going to take out the whole dock. 
because it just has to come in really, really slowly. It must be extremely difficult. One small thing goes wrong, you have to pay attention. Or if you work with your hands and work with small little things, one little movement of your hand, you know, it can ruin something you're working with. You have to pay attention. Now, just seven weeks ago, uh, there was a condo that collapsed in Surfside, Florida. You remember that, don't you? That was just seven weeks ago. Not much time. Experts can't agree as to what was the underlying cause. They, can't, they don't know who to point the finger at, you know. So most often, it's, they said, a sudden collapse can be traced to back to poor maintenance. Experts say that may include a lack of new paint, failure to shore up cracks in concrete, eliminate rust, stagnant water, all these kinds of things. The point of that was that somebody let that maintenance, let that care drift. They just didn't do anything. Oh, it's okay, we'll take care of it next year. Oh, it's okay, we'll take care of it next year. Oh, it's okay. It's like those house projects, you know? Oh, it's okay, we'll, I'll take care of it next summer, next fall. And like five years later, you're like, okay, we should probably do that now. You know, we just let it. We have a tendency to drift because we're so busy with other things in life, right? There's so many other more important things. If we were to fight away the tendency to drift... You have to pay close attention, especially to what God's Word says. One famous pastor explained it this way. Listen to what he said. He said, there's nothing more heartbreaking than preaching to people week after week and to see certain ones constantly exposed to the truth that you know could change their lives, could set them free, could transform their very existence, he says, and bring them out into a realm of experience they hardly believe could have existed. You know this, and yet you see them week after week losing the whole effect of the message simply because they did not pay attention. In a world of constant noise and notifications, no wonder we have problems paying attention. Paul says it best in Hebrew, excuse me, in Romans chapter 13, verse 11. He says, and do this, knowing the time that now is the high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believe. Paul is reminding us that our salvation is now closer to completion. It is because of age when we first believe. Time is passing each day. You've all heard the phrase, if you don't pay attention and wake up, it's going to be too late. It's going to be too late. He says, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed. Pay attention. But what are we supposed to pay attention to, right? There are a lot of things in this world that are constantly drawing our attention. Should we pay attention to this? Pay attention to that. You turn on the TV on Sunday morning, and there are 50 different preachers preaching 50 different things, it seems. You know, what are we supposed to pay attention to? He tells us here, we're to pay attention. We must give the more earnestly to the things that we have heard. The things that we have heard is God's truth or the Word of God. Now, this second point, it goes hand in hand with the first one. What are we supposed to pay close attention to? The things which we have heard. Well, what are those things? Well, in the book of Hebrews, we're in Hebrews chapter 2. So the context would dictate that the things that he's told them about would be in chapter number 1. So we have to go back. So look at chapter number 1, verse 1. Look at what it says. I love this verse. This is probably my favorite verse in all the book of Hebrews. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. So we're to pay close attention. What are we to pay close attention to? We're to pay close attention to the Son. That's what it's trying to tell us. 
And in case you haven't heard about the Son, the author of Hebrews describes Him, the Son as whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds, who being brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholds all things by the word of His power, when He had purged Himself, when He Himself had purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This Son, the author of Hebrews says, is the one that you need to pay attention to. This Son... You see, Hebrews is telling us that the sacrifice of Jesus is very important, but the sacrifice of Jesus would be null and void if Jesus wasn't who he claimed to be or if Jesus didn't do what he said he was going to do. It would be null and void. It wouldn't be important. If Jesus was not God, if Jesus was not man, if he was not 100% God and 100% man, then his sacrifice would be null and void. You see, the book of Hebrews is telling us that you have to pay close attention to the right son. Now, what happens is that you have other groups and other religions who tell you that Jesus is actually different from what the Bible says. And when they do that, that's when you turn and you run in the other direction. We'll talk about that in a minute. But we need to pay close attention to the sun first. And we do that by looking at these statements. So look at these statements with me. The first one says, whom he has appointed heir of all things. God has appointed that Jesus is going to inherit heir of all things because God has only one son, right? He has only one heir, so it makes sense. Typically, a ruler would designate a son as an heir, so when he dies, that son would govern the kingdom. The only problem here is that God is the ruler and God doesn't die. Instead, the son enters into his inheritance and power through his own death, through his own exaltation. So if God feels it's important to appoint Christ heir of all things, then I think God is trying to tell us, I think the Ancient of Days is trying to tell us, pay attention to the Son. Pay attention to Him. That second phrase says, through whom He also created the worlds. This speaks to what God has done through His Son. He made the world, right? That small preposition through or translated by in other translations, it preserves the importance that God is the creator. And through him, Jesus created. Passages like John chapter 1, verse 3, 1 Corinthians 8, Colossians 1, all tell us about creation through the Son. The point here is that Christ is outside the created order. He wasn't created. He existed before creation. He was is and always will be coexistent with the Father. Now, false teaching like that proclaimed by Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus was a created being and is not deity but simply one of many gods. The New World Translation 2013 edition reads Hebrews 1.1 this way. It says, He has spoken to us by means of a son. We're not talking about a son. We're talking about the son. Um, God has one son, and his name is Jesus, and he is the one we must pay careful attention to. Now, what does it also say? The third and fourth statements say the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Brightness carries the idea of source in an active sense, reflection in a passive sense. Just like the sun is the source of our light, the moon is the reflection of that source. So you might say that Jesus is both the source and reflection of God's glory. He's both and. He's not one or the other, 
that doesn't diminish his deity or his sonship or anything. He is both and. And this idea of express image, it carries the idea of exact representation. We're not talking about identical twins. We're not talking about two exactly made products. We're talking about they are so similar that you can't tell them apart. They're exactly the same, the same of substance. In the 4th century, there were some Christological debates. In the 3 and 400 A.D., after the New Testament was written, there were some debates about Jesus' deity and God. And they tried to classify God and the Son in categories of greater and lesser. One said, well, God is greater and Jesus is lesser. Well, Jesus is greater and God is lesser. But this passage in Hebrews says there's no such distinction. They are one and the same. You see me, you see the Father. Remember what Jesus said in John 14? He said, he who believes in me believes not in me but him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. You see Jesus, you see the Father. This is what we say when Jesus came to the earth. He was God with us, Emmanuel, or he was God in the flesh. This is the Jesus that we have to pay attention to. The next phrase says, he upholds all things by the word of his power. And that's an encouraging phrase. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Because there are many times in our lives when we think that the world is about to self-destruct. Recently, we feel like the world is about to self-destruct. With all that's happened in the last decade, the world is about to self-destruct. You realize that the world has always been bad, right? You realize that sin has always created problems from the existence, uh, from when it came into the world in the book of Genesis. It's just today, we have more access to things all over the world. You know, 20, 30 years ago, before internet capabilities were a big thing, something would happen on one side of the world, and it might take a few days, even weeks or months, for that information to get to the other side of the world so they would know what happened. You either had to read the paper about it or, or there was some kind of broadcast about it, but it took a lot longer. Now, if something happens in New Zealand or Australia on the other side of the world, we know about it in five minutes or ten minutes because of our internet and communication capabilities, and it's only getting, I say better, some would say worse, of our capabilities. We have access to that. It's always been bad. Paul said to Timothy, he says, you're living in the last days. That was Paul. That was 2,000 years ago. How do you think Paul would feel if he were here with us today? Uh, the world, it feels like so many times, is about to self-destruct. Remember, I see it every once in a while. I see this meme that comes around um, on social media sites where this lady who is like out of breath and she's outside her house, she's got her hands, she's looking. She's like, what book of Revelation or what chapter of Revelation are we in today? Because that's the way she feels. You know, she, we walk out the door and what's going to happen today? All these judgments are going to fall from the sky because we feel like the world is about to self-destruct. The only reason the world has not self-destructed is because Jesus is upholding it. One day he's going to make all things new. And we all long for that day, don't we? Oh man, do we long for that day. But for now, he is choosing to uphold it. Not because the world is somehow good, but because that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There are still people who need Jesus. There are still people who need to be saved. There are still people like you and I who need to take the gospel to those in our Jerusalem, in our Judea and Samaria, and to the rest of the world. Christ is still upholding all things. There's a reason for it. 
but Christ also purged our sins, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Those are the last two statements. And these are also encouraging phrases, because by making purification for our sins, the Son accomplished something that no one else could achieve. You know, the entirety of the Old Testament sacrificial system could not achieve what Christ once and for all sacrificed. He sat down. The priests in the Old Testament system, they never sat down because their work was never fully complete. But Christ's work is complete, finished, accepted by the Father, and he sat down in the heavenlies. This is the so great salvation. The forgiveness that he purchased for us is now permanent. It removed the barrier between God and humanity. We now have access to the presence of God himself. That's the great salvation that we have in the Son. So he says, pay attention to the Son. Pay attention to him because I have put everything that I want you to know about me in the Son, in him. This sin-cursed world, as we said before, is not trying to draw you closer to him. It's doing all it can to drive a wedge between your relationship with him. You know, we don't serve a Jesus who only purged our sins. We serve, as he says here, the one who is the heir of all things, who through him created all things, who's the radiance of the glory of God, who's the express image of the Father. He upholds all things. He made purification for our sins. He sat down the heavenlies because his sacrifice is complete. That's the kind of son that we serve. That's the kind of son that you come every week to church to praise and to glorify. That's the one that we serve. That's the one the scripture says. He says, pay attention. Now, what's interesting is that this first section in the book of Hebrews, these first three or four verses, he actually explains all those points, all those seven statements throughout the entirety of the rest of the book. So that's kind of the introduction to get your attention. Whoa, okay, I need to read the rest of the book because he's going to talk about and explain all these things in detail as a good writer would. But listen, he says this. He says, therefore... Chapter 2, verse 1, we must give the more earnest heed because of what the Son is or who the Son is, earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. We know this. If we don't pay attention to the Son, if we're not constantly correcting our lives every single day to be in line with Jesus, then what? We drift away. We drift away. And the thing is, to drift away, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to. It just happens naturally. So we're to take positive action by refusing to do anything. We neglect so great salvation. So what we're supposed to do, we're supposed to take action. We're supposed to do something. Otherwise, we might be guilty of neglect. We don't want to be guilty of neglect, do we? According to the Children's Bureau of Department of Health and Human Services in 2018, Approximately 678,000 children in this country were deemed victims of abuse or neglect. That's 678,000 people, excuse me, children, with about 60% of those suffering from neglect. So the majority of that statistic is that they suffered from neglect. Even worse, that same bureau estimated that 1,770 children died in 2018 from abuse or neglect. If I were to tell you that 
I only provide one meal a week for my children. That's it. It's a really big meal. Lots of fancy fixings and stuff and drinks, but just one meal a week, that's all. That's all they get. You would probably gasp, you know, just one meal? Just one? Just one? Some of you would probably be like, yeah, that's right, just one. That's all they need. They need to fend for themselves. <laughs> but just one meal. Some of you would probably call the Child Protective Services because you'd say, well, he's neglecting his kids by not providing for them. One time a week. One time a week. Listen, coming to church once a week, getting spiritually fed once a week is not enough to stop you from drifting. It's going to keep you from moving any further, but it's not going to stop you from drifting. There's got to be much, much more. Now, neglection in the life of a child can cause all sorts of problems, not to mention the long-term effects. And I read through some, some statistics that were just so mind-boggling. The principle of neglect as it relates to our relationship with, with, excuse me, with Christ is no different than a relationship of neglect with a child. And if you were to read the entirety of the book of Hebrews at your own leisure, the author talks about spiritual neglect. He says it will produce immaturity. It will produce loss of future rewards. You'll be unable to hear God's voice when he's speaking. Your heart gets hardened, even premature death at times or discipline. But in all of this that I looked at with the uh, neglect of children, it's the generational effects that concern me the most. Because if a person is guilty of neglect, then guess what? The tendency is if they have children, then those children get neglected as well. It's a vicious cycle. It's a sin curse cycle. Because if we neglect God's word, if we neglect this so great salvation, then it's entirely possible that you're passing on that same attitude of neglect to the people who are closest to you your children, your family, your relationship, your friends, your co-workers. It's that attitude. You know, Jesus is the one who we should not be neglecting. But I'm afraid he's the one that many people are neglecting because the signs of neglect are all over this world. And if we really understood the son, like the author to the book of Hebrews is telling us, if we really understood the Jesus we follow, if we really understood what it cost Jesus to purchase our salvation, if we really understood what he had to give up, if we really understood how difficult it was for him to experience abandonment from God on the cross, then I firmly believe that our neglect would disappear overnight. But the good news is that you can understand those things. It is entirely possible for you to come to an understanding of those things. And the book of Hebrews, along with the rest of Scripture and the help of the Holy Spirit, you can dig into those mysteries and you can dig into those riches. Do I fully understand how Jesus can be God and man and one and not? No, I don't get it. I can study as much as I want, but there are some things that our minds just won't understand. But it doesn't mean I don't believe it. This is the son, he says, that we should pay attention to. Our problem is that we don't actively seek him out. We have procured our hell insurance policy, right? Most of you have your life insurance policy. If you're a Christian, then you probably have your hell insurance policy. But now that we have that, we're comfortable drifting through the rest of life, right? It's like when we procure our life insurance policy. Hey, okay, I'm good now. 
You know, if I die, everything's taken care of with my kids. No, everything's not taken care of your kids. They don't want you to die. Your, your spouse doesn't, well, maybe, I don't know. But, you know, she, she might want you or he might want you. It's not going to be okay when you leave. You still want to prepare for if you have to die. So it's not just, hey, sign the paper here, I'm good. It doesn't work that way. We're comfortable drifting through the rest of our life. I, I feel like a lot of times we're content to love our sin more than we're content to love our Savior. Familiarity with God's Word. Well, I already know what the Bible says. I already know what most of the passages are. I already know the good stuff, the things that I need to know. Listen, I was on a, <clears throat> coming back from one of my beach vacations. Um, I say one of my, as if I take like 20 or 30 a year. It was just sounding weird. The one beach vacation that I take a year, I was coming back, and I had just finished this great book. Uh, it says How Not to Read the Bible. It's a great book. Um, and I had just finished it, and so I was just kind of processing everything with it. It took me all week. It was like a 300-page book. I was pushing hard through it, and, and I finally finished it like the last day. And so I got on the elevator to go up um, back, to the, back to the condo where I was at, and I had the book you know, pulled close to my, to my chest here. In the back cover, it says something about, um, uh, I can't remember what the title said on the back, something, it, it was one of those uh, things that get your attention. So something about um, my faith, I lose my faith when I read the Bible or something like that. You know, it was made something to get your attention. It was, it was flashy. And there was a lady who was on there with the elevator and said, oh, I would agree with that statement. And I was, I was still thinking about the book, processing everything. I didn't even know what she was and I looked, and I was like, oh, really? She says, yep. She says, I read my Bible. I'm a believer. It's up in the attic. It's been there for seven years. I don't need it for anything else. <laughs> Seriously? I, like, like, I didn't know what to say. Like, I was still processing the book and still thinking about it. And, and, and I was like, well, you should read this book. <laughs> I didn't know what else to say. <laughs> I was like, it's a good book. And she was like, well, I'll tell my husband about it. He likes it. And then she left the elevator. I, I was just shocked. She says, I believe it for what I need for my hell insurance policy, and then it's up in the attic. It's been there for seven years. It, it, it was a shock because I wasn't ready for it. It's not a shock because I don't believe it or I know it doesn't exist because I know it exists. I know it happens. I know people do it all the time. It was just a shock to me because I'm sitting here trying to process one thing, and she throws something else at me. I, I wasn't prepared for it. But familiarity with God's Word. Oh, I'm familiar with those passages, so I don't need to read them. I don't need to worry about them. Or maybe it's just laziness. You don't want to get up early. Or, 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 you know, I used to get up really early to do studies when my kids were younger and they slept in. But now my kids get up earlier for school when I have to get up with them, unfortunately. So I do a lot of my stuff at night. You know, laziness, or you might say busyness, or relationships, or your age are all things that can cause a person to drift. If I can put it to you in just the most basic terms, I will put it to you this way. We desperately need to find more ways to insert some more Jesus into our lives. We desperately need. Coming to worship once a week is going to just keep you there. It's going to keep you centered. You're not going to grow, but there's a tendency for you to drift. So what are some easy ways? We've said these before. You know, get connected to a small group. That's one of the easiest ways. You come to a small group, get connected to them, start a Bible reading plan. Hey, we have one. We've had one for the last six or seven years. Go on the website, lmbc.org rooted. There are hundreds of Bible reading programs. 
ones that can send it to your phone every single morning so you have it there. Select a verse every day that's to meditate on, just one verse, meditate on it. You know how popular songs find ways into our brains and we start singing them unknowingly and people are like, what are you singing? Oh, this song is stuck in my head. Well, let's get a Bible verse stuck in our heads. Let's take and meditate on one verse, just one. Maybe you should gather your kids for a quick prayer before sending them off to school. That only takes 30 seconds. That takes a minute maybe. Or use your drive time to work as an extended prayer time. Use your small part of your lunch break to refocus your thinking on Jesus, maybe reading a short devotional. Because the morning is always rough, isn't it? (laughs) The morning is always rough. You don't want to get up early to do the devotion ahead of time, so do it at lunchtime. Help you refocus so the rest of the day is not as bad. (laughs) Before your kids go off to bed for the evening, have prayer with them. I've done that for years. Go to the park, hike a trail, marvel at the beauty and grandeur of what Christ has created. Coach a sports team. Yeah, you heard it from me. So you can teach them that winning isn't everything, that Jesus is everything. And by all means, by all means, make it a group effort. Enlist the help of your spouse or your family. She's your teammate. He's your teammate. Tell your family what you're doing. Don't try to hide it from them. Tell them, explain to them why it's important. The point of all these ideas is that you actually have to take action because choosing to do nothing will only cause you to drift. If you leave here today and choose to do nothing, then guess what? You have a greater tendency to drift. You know, the thing that I can't wrap my head around is that Christ knew all the mess that he was getting into when he inserted himself into humanity. And yet he didn't flinch. You know, there wasn't some discussion in the Trinity of who would go. There wasn't some drawing of straws. (laughs) He came into history at the very time that God sent him. And he did it willingly, and he did it not neglecting one detail. You know, we can't escape this world. We can't tune it out completely. We're called to be salt and light to the world What we can do, however, is start actively seeking God's face. Actively choosing not to neglect that relationship with him. Actively choosing to anchor our entire lives in him. Remember, it's Jesus, not some famous person or some false god that bought and paid for our salvation. The world and all that's in the world and all the world has to offer didn't give itself up for you nor did it design a redemption plan for all humanity. Jesus did that. The Son did that. So if we choose to neglect our salvation, we're neglecting all that God did for us. If we're choosing not to grow each day, and by the way, growing is a process. It takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. You don't take these huge steps overnight. It's a process. It's baby steps. If we don't choose to spend time trying actively seeking Jesus so we can grow, we're just going to drift. And we're going to drift, drift, drift. And it's going to be 10, 20, 30 years later. You're still in church. You're still here coming every week. But you are way far drifted away from God. Way far drifted. The point is that we actually have to do something. You have to act on it. If you already are doing something, then great. Continue doing what you're doing. 
Because you know that when that current comes along, it's going to move you back and forth. You've got to actively, actively reposition yourself so that you don't drift. If you do nothing today, then guess what? You drift. If you leave today and do nothing, you drift. You don't have to try to drift. You go out to the sea, you naturally drift. It just happens. So the point is you have to actively seek out a relationship with him. But pay attention, he says, because your relationship and all that it's built on is built on the foundation of the sun. And he's described the sun for us in a fantastic way here. This is the son who upholds all things. This is the son who purged our sins. This is the son who does everything for us. This is the son who's offered salvation to us for free. We just have to accept it. We have to take it. And many of you have. The whole rest of the book of Hebrews is a motivation to say, look, Jesus is so much better. He is. Why would you ever think of departing away from Jesus. And he spends the entirety of the book of Hebrews saying, look at this Jesus. Look at what he has done for you. Look at all the things. And we want to leave here and act as if we never even knew Jesus. You know, the problem in the book of Hebrews, if you go all the way to chapter 10, they were afraid to continue to assemble together as a church because this, these early believers were being persecuted for their faith. They were being ostracized. They were being um, uh, pushed out of the communities. People weren't buying or selling from them. They were being imprisoned. They were being beaten. All these things were happening. And so they decided instead of continuing to follow Jesus, we're going to kind of step back out of the limelight and go back to the old ways of doing things so we don't get persecuted for our faith. I can't persuade you any more than say, look at what Jesus did for you. And he did it willingly. He wasn't coerced. He wasn't forced. He came into the world the exact time the Father said, it's time for you to come into the world. He followed through everything of the Father's plan, gave himself up for you and for me. The least we can do is get to know the Son even more. You know, that first verse God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in his last day spoken to us by the Son. That's our day. Everything we want to know about God is in the Son. But if we're not constantly trying to learn more about the Son, then what happens? Then we drift. And that's the point. Don't, 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 don't drift. It's so easy. It happens naturally. You have got to be actively, actively seeking out God. Actively seeking out God. You know, we know to put food in our body every single day, or else what? Our body will die, right? Essentially, eventually. But we know to put food in our body every single day, or our body's going to die. We know that. It's basic. Well, if we don't put God's Word into our lives every day, we drift. And we'll drift so far apart. And the more we drift... You know what it is? The harder it is to get back, right? The longer you've been to the gym, mm, the harder it is to get back, right? You've been out of the gym for three or four, I don't want to go back. It's so hard to get back. It's better if you stay each day, stay grounded, stay anchored in Jesus. Jesus did all that for us. And yet so many of us just neglect this so great salvation. Truly, if we got and dug into God's word and we understand 
what Jesus did for us, it would change our thinking. It would change your life. <laughs> it would. And that's what Jesus has the power to do through the Holy Spirit. Don't drift. Don't drift.